Uh, The reading this morning is from John chapter 17 and then 35 to 38. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he said, told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who'd formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sin and sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but others insisted. But he himself insisted that I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told, them, he, he told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisee. They, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. And then from verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So let's just uh, pray that God will speak to us through that particular story. Lord, thank you so much for this last week. Thank you for all the events that have been organized, all the people who've come and heard about the transforming power uh, that you offer people when they turn to you. And I'd like to pray that this morning, Lord, wherever we are, you will speak to us clearly and simply and directly. And help us, Lord, to respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So can I just add my thanks to Warren's for... uh, We've had a wonderful week. We've done lots of these uh, 
missions all over the place. I think we've done about 32 just in the north of England. And this is one of the best ones, even though it's not in the north of England. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you for all, because you've worked very hard and uh, we've appreciated it. And thank you too for looking after us, for um, giving us hospitality and all your kindness. We really appreciate it. Now, as uh, Phil and Ed have said, we've called the whole week turning point. And the idea that we've been trying to get across is that when a person turns, turns away from those things that are destructive in their lives and they turn to Jesus Christ, everything changes. And uh, so I thought what we would do is let's look at this story. So if you've got a Bible or your phone, can you turn to uh, John chapter 9? I want to just try and pick out how does this happen? Because there might be one or two people here this morning who, in fact, I've heard this uh, several times, hasn't happened to me yet, they said. And I thought if we look at how it happened to one man in the Bible, it might help us to understand how it could happen to us. So uh, we're, uh, we're told it's, it's, a, it's a story about a man who was born blind. Now, I don't know whether you know anybody who was actually born blind. I don't know anybody who was born blind. I've no, I know one or two people who became blind. One man I got to know in Notting Hill Gate when I lived in Notting Hill as, <clears throat> as a student uh, became blind at the age of six. And uh, I got to know him. I used to read to him. He worked at the Royal National Institute of the Blind. And I found the whole experience an extraordinary one for me, being close to somebody who was blind. Maybe you, you know somebody like that. Well, I came across this story just fairly recently. It was about a lady called Jean Smith, and uh, she lived uh, in mid-Wales, and she'd been blind for 16 years. And uh, she had a white stick, which she used to use in the street, and a guide dog called Tina. And uh, apparently, an inf- she caught this infection which had eaten away at her retinas and the mirrors behind her eyes. So she was in constant, constant pain. Anyway, uh, her local church ran an Alpha course, and she decided to go on the Alpha course. And during the day where they focus on the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, how can you experience the Holy Spirit, something happened Uh, during the day so that she was released from this incessant pain that she'd had all this time. And she was so overjoyed at that that she decided to go to her local church that Sunday to thank God for the fact that he'd released her from this pain. Anyway, she it was an Anglican church. Sorry about that, Phil. And uh, she went forward and uh, the vicar... Uh, prayed for her up at the altar rail and he anointed her with oil. He put oil on her head and uh, he prayed for her. And as uh, she wiped the oil away from her eyes, she could see the communion table. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. She'd not seen her husband for 16 years and apparently when she saw him, she was amazed at how white his beard had become. (laughs) She didn't realize he had a white beard. And she'd never seen her daughter-in-law before. 
and she had a little six-and-a-half-year-old grandson. Apparently, this grandson used to guide her around the street so that she wouldn't walk into the puddles. And uh, she didn't have to do this anymore. And so the little grandson said to her, who done that, Gran? And uh, she replied, well, it was Jesus who made me better. And he replied, I hope you said thank you, Gran. And she said this, I will never stop saying thank you. Isn't that just a great story? Now, I, I, I want us to look at this story in John 9, and I want to just pick out three things that strike me. Now, if you've got your Bible, look at verse 1. As he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. There are very few instances, actually, in the New Testament where we are told specifically that people were afflicted from birth. I know of only two other instances in the scriptures. Now, that's not to say that it didn't happen, but I know of only two. And this was one of them. This man, he had been born blind, so he'd never been able to see. And uh, Jesus sees him as he's walking along, and immediately there's this discussion that the disciples have. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in those days, uh, many of the rabbis taught that if you were suffering uh, from a physical illness, it was because of some sin in your life or sin in your parents' life. And Jesus completely repudiates that idea. Look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And what he does is he actually spits into the, the, the dust, uh, makes the dust into some mud, and then he puts the mud in the man's eyes or where the man's eyes were, and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, and, uh, which was a large open-air pool, which was the main water supply for Jerusalem. And the man uh, miraculously is healed, and he comes back seeing. Now, three things that just strike me, first of all, from this, this opening verse. He was blind from birth. And I think that's a picture of us. We are blind We're in darkness from the moment we're born. Now, that's not to say that there's not a lot of good in us. There's lots of good in us. But uh, one of the pictures the Bible gives is that we are blinded by our own selfishness or our own sin. And our selfishness actually blinds us from God. We don't see God. We don't see his holiness. We don't see his greatness, his power. And we're not only blind to God, we're also blind to our own sin. I wonder if that's ever struck you. Before I became a Christian, I had no idea how selfish I was. And it was only, I was going to say, it was only when I got married that I realized how, (laughs) it was actually, that also helped me to realize how selfish I was. But it was when I came to Christ that Jesus Christ began to show me how sinful, how self-centered I was in my life. 
And uh, notice he was blind from birth. He couldn't do anything about it. He could do absolutely nothing. And you and I can do nothing about this blindness, this inner blindness that we struggle with. Second thing I notice in this opening bit is that Jesus makes an extraordinary claim. Look at verse 5. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. There are seven I ams. These are extraordinary statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. And then he doesn't just make a claim. He then does something to back up his claim to show that what he's claiming is true. Now, the interesting thing is, if you go through John's gospel, you'll find that Jesus makes a claim, an outrageous claim. So, for example, he says on one occasion, I am the bread of life. In other words, I can satisfy the deep hunger and emptiness inside you. And then he does something to show that the claim he made is true. What does he do? He feeds 5,000 people with a boy's lunch, packed lunch. Or on another occasion, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he, he says he can satisfy that hunger inside us for life after death. And then what does he do to show people that what he's just said is true? He raises a man, Lazarus, who has been dead for three days. He raises him from the dead. Or on another occasion, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to God. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then what does he do to show the world that that's true? Well, he dies for us on the cross and then he rises from the dead to show the world that what he says is true. Now, some of you might be finding it difficult to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in his claims. Well, go through the scriptures and look at what he does to back up his claims. Now, moving on, the second thing I notice is that one day this man's life is changed. He's changed instantly in one meeting. Jesus sees him, he touches him, tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and then notice what happens, verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was, others said, no, he only looks like the man. So they, they knew him, they'd seen him begging, um, and what does the man, but the man himself insists, I am the man. And then they ask him, well, how were your eyes opened? And he replies, verse 11, the man, the man they called Jesus, made some mud and put it on my eyes. Now, again, a number of things I want you to notice. First of all, who takes the initiative in this story? It's not the blind man. The blind man could do nothing. He would just sit there and beg. In the story, the person who takes the initiative is Jesus Christ. It's always Jesus Christ who takes the initiative. The first move is always with Jesus Christ. So Jesus takes the initiative. He sees the man. He loves him. So he reaches out his, his hand and he touches him. But the man has to do something. Jesus tells him to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam. 
So he has something to do. He has to respond to Jesus Christ. And uh, you and I are never going to find God and know God unless we respond to what Jesus tells us to do. Now, few just before Christmas, I was speaking at a number of carol services around the country, and I did one in Sheffield Cathedral. And I, as I was praying about what to talk to them about, <coughs> I started thinking about this passage in John 1, where John says about Jesus, that, and we sang about this earlier on in the service, though the world was made through him, that's through Jesus, the world did not recognize him. Then he came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. So the world did not recognize Jesus Christ, who was behind the creation of the world, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But, John says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, there are some of you here, the penny... Your eyes haven't been opened yet, but you're searching. And I want to say to you, if you're like that, and I've met one or two people like that this week, I want to encourage you to to do something. And the thing I'd like to encourage you to do is get hold of a gospel and read it for yourself. Just read it. And if you haven't got a gospel, talk to Phil or to Ed, and they will give you one. They'll give you a Bible if you need one. And uh, Warren, the interesting thing about Warren, Warren became a Christian because of the evidence. He needed to be convinced of the evidence that Jesus lived and he died and he'd risen. Once he was convinced of the evidence, then he was in a a position where he could actually make a commitment. And we need to do what Jesus tells us to do if we're going to see him and understand him. So, Another thing you could do if you're not yet there and you haven't got this yet, go on an Alpha course. Go on this Alpha course and find out for yourself. And then the other thing, and then I'm going to finish, that I notice in the story is that this man's opinion of Jesus changes throughout the story. Just, again, look at, look at uh, the text again. In, when they ask him, how were your eyes opened, verse 11, he says, the man they call Jesus made some mud. And then the Pharisees come in and there's a great debate. And the debate really hinges around the fact that Jesus had made some mud and healed a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees said that Jesus was guilty of breaking the law because he'd done some work in making mud and healing this man. And, and the, the, um, there's a discussion. How could you possibly say that Jesus is evil because he's just done this miraculous sign? And so they ask him again, uh, you were the man uh, that was healed. What have you to say about him? And look at verse 17. And the man replies, he's a prophet. So he starts by calling Jesus a man. Then he starts to call him a prophet, a man sent from God. Then if you turn over the page, they eventually throw him out. His argument is very simple. Verse 25 One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And eventually, uh, he, he challenges them. They throw him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus goes and finds him. 
And uh, look, it's beautifully told. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the title Son of Man was an Old Testament title for the Son of God. Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, I believe. Now, the interesting thing is we have one word, believe, in the English. There are three words in the original that John uses to describe the different stages of belief. In fact, John uses the word believe over 98 times in his gospel. And the, and the first and basic kind of belief is when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. People say that every Sunday in creeds all over the country. I believe that Christ died and rose again. That's the basic kind of belief. So I believe something is true. Then there is a second stage of belief, which is when I put my trust or my confidence. Let me give you an example. Do you believe that the chair you're sitting on will hold you up? Yes, you do. You could take your, if you want to prove that, you could lift your feet up off the floor. Hopefully the chair will hold you up. That's the second type of belief. It's putting my confidence in someone or something. And then the third type of, uh, the third stage of belief, which is where Jesus says to him, do you believe? And then he says, Lord, I believe, is actually making a commitment. And one of the illustrations I love is the illustration of marriage. Uh, I remember when uh, I stood with uh, Ursula in uh, St. Aldate's in Oxford, and Michael Green said to me, will you take Ursula to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and protect her? And then I said, I will. And then he turned to Ursula and said, will you take Roger to be your husband? Same thing, will you love him and comfort him and honor and protect him. And she said, I will. So we made a covenant. We entered into a covenant together that day and we exchanged rings as a sign of the covenant that we were entering into. And uh, we said that we were going to stay like this. We were going to stay committed. And the only thing that would stop us from being committed to each other was if one of us died. It's the only thing we said that will stop us. And uh, we've, had, we've been married for a long time now. We've had our ups and downs. We've had our struggles. Some days are great. Some days are not so great. But that doesn't stop the covenant. The covenant is something that we entered into. It's a covenant relationship. And uh, when a person becomes a Christian, God says to to. To me, when I became a Christian, Roger, will you take Jesus Christ? Will you commit yourself to him? Will you love him? Will you follow him? Will you obey him? And I said, I will. And then, and this is even more amazing, God turns to his son, Jesus, and says, Jesus, will you take Roger? Will you stick with him? Will you carry on loving him, forgiving him? And the extraordinary thing is that Jesus says, yes, I will. I'll stick with Roger throughout his life. And uh, just as we exchange rings, 
There's also an exchange in that God then gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And that commitment, that belief can happen in an instant. There's usually a lot of thought and prayer and and often deep restlessness that goes on before. But when I make that commitment to Christ, he makes a commitment to me and then I begin the Christian life. And just like marriage, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's a struggle. But because he's with us, his Holy Spirit is in us, he keeps us going until we eventually meet him at the great marriage in heaven. So I want to ask you, have you made this commitment to Christ? Now, for some of you, you're not yet ready to do this, but you do need to find out. So I want to encourage you, will you make a commitment to going on the Alpha course? Or is there someone that you know who needs to get this sorted out that you could bring to the Alpha Course. But for others, and there may be one or two people here this morning who are ready to do this today. And this is a great opportunity to take this step. And uh, I've said to you here, I think, when I, this all came to a head for me when I was at university, and I eventually came to a point where I said, I'm going to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's when I began. I told you as all the people were leaving the church, I came up with a number of others and I said, I've done that. I've made that commitment. I've made that covenant with Jesus Christ. And that was a, a long time ago. And then the vicar said, you, you'll have to push your way against the crowds as they leave. But you might as well learn that now because it'll be like that for the rest of your life. It was absolutely true. So I'm just going to uh, give you an opportunity, because there might be someone here today who's never made this commitment and you'd like to. So let's just all bow our heads, and I'll close us in a prayer. Now, I want you to just um, put yourself, if you can, in the... um, shoes of this blind man. He's never, never seen. He's never been able to see. And he begs each day. And I guess that day he got up and he thought, just another day, I'll be sitting in the street hoping that somebody gives me some money. And then Jesus of Nazareth walks by. And he stops in front of you. And he spits into the ground and he puts, he makes some mud and he puts it on your eyes and he says, now go, go and wash. And as you do, as you obey him and you wash the mud out of your eyes, the miracle takes place and you can see. Now, Jesus Christ is alive today. He's risen from the dead and he says to you, Today, will you say sorry? Will you be willing to turn around and turn away from those things that inwardly that you know are wrong and which actually are destructive? Can you do that? Can you turn away with his help? Because you can't do it without his help. But will you turn away from those things that are wrong? And will you turn to him?
today. And as you turn to him, can you exercise faith or trust? Can you put your trust in him this morning and say to him, Lord, I trust you. I trust you to forgive me. Can you do that? Will you do that? And don't worry if you don't have some great feeling. I I didn't feel anything when I made this step. I just knew I was doing the right thing. And then as I began to trust Jesus, then things started to happen. I began to feel his presence, feel his love, feel his power. But that, and that's continued over many years. So don't worry if you don't feel anything initially. And then will you ask him, will you actually ask him to come to you, to forgive you and to fill you with his Holy Spirit? Can you do that? And again, can you trust him? When if he, he says, if you come to me and receive me, I will make you into a child of God. So here's a simple prayer, and you can just pray it with me. Uh, sentence by sentence. If you're not sure and you want to be sure, then pray it. If if you know that this isn't the time, then don't ask you not to do that. Um, So here we are. Here's the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I am sorry for going my own way instead of your way. So I turn away from that. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sin. I trust you, Lord. I trust you that when you died, you died for me in my place. Please come and take first place in my life and make me the person you want me to be. Help me to trust you, to keep looking at you, and then allow you to do the miracle. And Lord, for those of us here who know you, help us to stay close to you, to keep following you. And give us all someone, Lord, that we could bring along to the next Alpha course, we pray. We pray it will be full up with people who are searching for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And can I say, if you did pray with me, Uh, this morning. Come and have a word. I'll just be standing at the front. I'd love to meet you. Thanks. Thanks, Roger. And once again, thanks for you and the team.